Hey Spirit fans, this is Seth Askelson, and I hope you are enjoying every episode of the OUAZ Athletics Podcast. We are looking forward to bringing you a wide range of guests as we ramp up to the fall season and want you to tune in to each episode to get the best insight and stories from all Spirit programs. As our guest list grows on the podcast, so will our ways you can tune in. The OUAZ Athletics Podcast is now available on Spotify, Google Play Music, Apple Podcasts, and of course, on the website at ouazspirit.com slash podcasts. Please rate, review, and subscribe to let us know who you want to hear next and to never miss the next installment. Those four great platforms are where you can find our brand new episodes every week the moment they are available. Once again, you can now find every episode of the OUAZ Athletics Podcast on Spotify, Google Play Music, Apple Podcasts, and at OUAZSpirit.com slash podcasts. Welcome in, OUAZ Spirit fans. My name is Seth Askelson, and thank you for joining me for yet another edition of the OUAZ Athletics Podcast. My guest today, he holds an Olympic gold medal and a ton of other records across the swimming world and a new record the new OUAZ swim head coach, Darian Townsend. Darian, how are you today? I'm good, thank you. Thank you for having me. Very excited to be here. Um, excited to be of, uh, you know, part of the OUAZ family and uh, just ready to hit the ground running here. Uh, everything's been pretty crazy recently, right? I mean, a, a global pandemic that's hit the United States a, a little bit harder than maybe expected. Uh, but for you, how have you been able to stay safe? How are you and your family been able to stay safe? And how have you been staying sane over the last seven or so months? Yeah, it's uh, definitely a different world we live in today. Um, I think a year ago, if you'd asked people, told people that this is what it would be like, I don't think many people would have believed you, you know. So, um, you know, just, yeah, the last couple of months have been tough. Um, you know, for, for me in particular, you know, swim meets have kind of uh, dried up. There's really nothing out there that you can get to at this point, um, or at least over the summer get to. Um, so yeah, we've just been practicing as much as we can, staying fit, conditioning, uh, just getting ready for, you know, when we can jump back into the pool and start competing. Yeah, folks in Arizona know all about uh, drying up, whether it be physically or metaphorically, as you said, in the sports world. So, but that's one thing I think when it comes to swimmers, right? We see the top level at the Olympics, like yourself, um, obviously in the United States, Michael Phelps becoming a celebrity thanks to swimming and just in, in incredible shape, those swimmers are maybe some of the best athletes you'll ever see. But when you're in the weight room, what, what do swimmers need to do? What kind of exercises do swimmers do in order to stay in, in competing shape? Yeah, so, uh, you know, definitely the sport has, um, has evolved, you know, it's, it's been, there's been an evolution to the sport, you know, over the last 20, 30 years. And um, there wasn't a lot of emphasis put on, you know, outside the pool conditioning 20, 30 years ago, but there's a huge emphasis nowadays. Um, you know, swimmers still swim um, just as many practices a week, but now they spend a good amount of time, you know, doing dry land work, uh, doing weight room work, getting stronger. Um, for the most part, swimmers are swimmers and they prefer to be in the water. Um, that you were definitely water creatures, but, um, the really, the really, really good ones do spend a, a good amount of time and quality time getting stronger outside the water. So the weight room is a, a second home for a lot of swimmers. Um, exercises like squats, uh, pull-ups, 
um, you know, tricep extensions, all that type of stuff. Any sort of power motion in the weight room is something that can be transferred to the water. So, you know, in the college scene, we swim the, the 25 yard version of the sport. Um, and a lot of that is underwater work. A lot of that is, is exploding off those walls, exploding off the block for each race. And so uh, swimmers do like to, to put some weight on that, that squat rack and, and get down pretty heavy with the squats. Uh, but again, focusing on that power. So I would say squatting, um, that kind of stuff is really important for swimmers. Um, like I said, for that explosive motion off the block and, and you know, off the walls. Now, when I was growing up, obviously watching the Olympics and thought I could be a swimmer one day, obviously that didn't end up panning out. But I remember watching and, and seeing almost the importance of, as you mentioned, getting off the block, getting off those walls, you know, in, in the races that are more than 100 meters. But what percentage of importance would you put on being able to make those turns and, and get off the block in terms of getting setting yourself up for success in a race? Yeah, look, being explosive, especially in the short court version of the sport, is extremely important. You look at the best swimmers that, that have, uh, you know, swum at that D1 level or, the, you know, the top NAIA level, um, all of them are going to have explosive walls. All of them are going to be able to kick underneath the water. Um, a lot of people uh, don't understand that kicking underwater, that dolphin kick on your back or your stomach or the underwater breaststroke pull downs is actually faster than swimming on the surface. So when you can be, um, you know, when you can master the underwater kicking, uh, it really sets you up for, to be very, very successful in the sport. You look at a guy like Caleb Dressel, um, you know, Michael Phelps, Ryan Lochte, Natalie Coughlin, all of our best um, Olympic champions um, are underwater animals. They basically live underwater. They kick 10, 15 yards off every wall and they pop up and swim only 10 yards. And so, um, that's a really uh, important part of our sport these days is, you know, developing the underwaters, developing that power off the walls, um, and then really exploding um, off the wall into each lap. Now, I think you make an interesting point, as you said, you know, doing certain um, strokes and, and kicks under the water is better than swimming at the surface. And when you talk about sports, I think in general, there's a lot of ways that leagues are trying to make the equipment more aerodynamic. I mean, you see in sports like football and hockey, you know, slimming down the jerseys, slimming down the pads to make, you know, guys faster. How do aerodynamics and, and the way a swimmer is positioned in the water while swimming play into how fast they can get going? Yeah, definitely. Look, there's definitely a, um, a certain type of body frame that, that fits swimming better. Um, I say that, but then there's definitely exceptions. Uh, for the most part, swimmers are uh, tall and skinny uh, for the most part, but there are a few exceptions of some shorter swimmers, kind of more broad. Um, but for the most part, you know, you're tall and skinny and as streamlined as possible. Um, but at the same time, you know, um, it's all about the details and your feel for the water and high, high, how high up on the water you sit. Um, there's also that buoyancy factor. You know, a couple of years ago, back in 2008, 2009, um, the super suits came out and everyone was wearing these, these very kind of light, um, almost like a wetsuit type of, of suit. And it really, it raised everyone's body level up in the water. And all of a sudden you had world records getting broken left, right and center. Um, those super suits were outlawed and we went back to basically just, uh, you know, smaller type of suits, jammers for the boys and uh, shoulders to knees for the girls, a lot thinner type of suits. Um, and so now it's really about the swimmer and how, how buoyant you can be and how explosive you can be off the walls and, and how much you can maintain your speed over the distance of your race. 
So um, it's all relative now, but um, I would say for the most part, um, the higher up on the surface you can swim, the faster you're going to be. I think that's interesting that swimming has had almost a uniform issue when it comes to those super suits. I know with hockey, there's the goaltenders in specific, you know, their pads are getting shrunk down. They can't wear certain size of jerseys, things of that nature. So it's interesting that swimming had kind of its own uniform controversy there for a couple of years. Uh, but let's get to you personally. I mean, grew up in, in South Africa and, and what was that like as a swimmer? What was your childhood like? How did you get into swimming and just swimming as a sport in South Africa? Yeah, so um, I was fortunate enough to grow up in a, a swimming family. Both my parents swam um, at a very high level. Um, you know, they both uh, represented uh, at the time Zimbabwe. Um, you know, uh, they represented Zimbabwe in swimming. My dad played water polo um, at the same time. So um, I was fortunate enough to grow up re really around the sport. My mom runs her own swim to learn, uh, you know, learn to swim business in South Africa. So from a very young age, um, I was just in the water all the time. And so it was really kind of natural for me to go that, that route in swimming. I did play all the other sports in South Africa. You know, we play some different sports there. We play rugby, we play cricket, we play field hockey. And so I played all of those sports growing up, but the one constant I had was, was being in the water and was swimming. So probably when I got to about age 14, um, you know, I was in my second year of high school. That was where, really when I decided that I wanted to take swimming very seriously. And so I stopped playing the other sports and it was pretty much just swimming in water polo through the rest of my high school career. Um, from there, I was lucky enough to get recruited um, to come over here and swim in, in college. Um, started off at the University of Florida and then transferred and finished up at the University of Arizona. Um, so my, my journey is definitely a, a long one. You know, I traveled across a, a big Atlantic Ocean to get here. And, um, but you know, thanks to the sport of swimming, I've gotten to see the world and I'm sitting in the position I am today because you know, I learned to swim one day and I, I took it seriously and that's what I wanted to do. Now you mentioned your, fan, your parents specifically, big water people, swimmers, water polo. As a child, did you spend more time in the water or on land? Probably in the water. I mean, um, you know, it, it felt like it. You know, I'd have, I have morning practice. I would have school the rest of the day. I would have water polo practice right after school. I would ride my bike five miles to the pool uh, where our club was. And then I'd do a third practice of the day in another swim practice. So and that was pretty much my life through high school. Um, you know, you either got water polo tournaments on the weekend or a swim competition. So, yeah, I would say I was probably in the water more than I, I was on the land. Well, that'll definitely uh, make you at least used to the conditions and, and figure out how to be the best athlete you can. And for you in 2004, you end up representing South Africa at the Olympics. And before we get to the race where you win your gold medal, what was that process like getting to the Olympics? And when did you finally realize, okay, this is something that can really happen. Yeah, so um, my, my club that I grew up in South Africa, it's, it's a smaller club in a very small city, but uh, we have a fantastic club coach there, Wayne Ridden is his name. And he had pretty much since every Olympics, 1992, he's produced a swimmer that's represented South Africa at the Olympics. Um, so whatever he's doing there, he's obviously doing a fantastic job. Um, I would say in about 2000, uh, the Sydney Olympics in 2000, I remember watching it on TV and I just said to myself, that's what I want to do. If I'm seeing some of my, my teammates, some of the seniors in my squad, you know, at the Olympic Games, swimming against the best in the world, I say, why, why can't that be me? And so pretty much from 2000 on, 
that's when I really started working towards making that 2004 Olympic Games. Um, I had no idea what hard work meant in 2000. I just assumed I would train a little harder and I'd get there. But um, so the first couple of years was, was me figuring out what hard work was. But I'd say by 2002, I had improved enough to really be in reach of, of qualifying for my first Olympics. Um, and so that's when the belief really started, probably in 2002. Uh, and it gave me about two years to go until 2004. And so, um, you know, I worked extremely hard. Um, I did take a, a year after I finished high school off to train for the trials. Um, you know, I graduated in 2001. And then I decided to, you know, spend a year and a year and a half training and, and I did qualify for those, those 2004 Olympics. Now the trials for the South African team um, to make it, is it very similar to the way Team USA does it? It's similar. Um, the only difference is we do our trials in April. Um, so you do your trials in April and then you've got, a, you've got two, three months to get back to training, um, you know, and, and basically do a full season again before the Olympic Games starts, starts up in August. Uh, whereas, whereas America here, we do the trials in pretty much late June. You've only got a couple of weeks before you, you know, set sail off to your training camp and then the Olympic Games. So in terms of the actual swimming, it's very similar. We both, um, we both have to qualify via the FINA A standards. So the FINA, the, the swimming, um, swimming world's uh, governing body, they set standards to qualify and your country will either subscribe to the B standards or the A standards. And South Africa is the same as, as the US here in meeting the A standard. Um, and then you also have to qualify top two in your events um, at the trials. So it, it's pretty similar, just the timing is a little different. So obviously you qualified. Who was the first person you called after, after you heard you qualified? Yeah, so I, I don't know if I called anybody, but I, my parents were right there. So those are the first people I saw. Uh, my parents, again, being heavily involved in swimming, they were actually the, um, the, so basically when there's a final at the trials, they were the ones going up to the people that came top three, making sure they, they come with them to go to the medal ceremony and then also put a towel around their shoulders as kind of like, a, hey, he has a, has a little prize for you know getting top three and they make sure they get to the podium and that kind of stuff so those were my parents um so when i say heavily involved that's what they were doing if they weren't swimming they were doing something for the sport and uh so as i get out the water of course they're coming to find me to give me my towel and obviously a big hug and kiss so that was quite nice to have them there well they wouldn't be parents if they weren't helping you get to the, the right. medal ceremony right Definitely. So, yeah, no, they, they're absolutely great. And, and like I said, very blessed to have such understanding parents because it is a very unique sport. Uh, you sacrifice a lot um, to be at practice every single day. You, you know, you don't go on family vacations. Your family vacation is the day after a swim meet, a five-day swim meet down somewhere in, in, you know, in the country and you take a day off or you drive back from the swim meet and you stop at a place to stay. So there's there is no family vacations when you're a swimming family. Um, and so I'm very lucky to have them as parents and obviously their support through the years. What is it like in that aspect? I think it's very interesting, right? It's a lot of training for, depending on what race you're in, maybe only 30 seconds, maybe only a minute, maybe only two minutes. It's not like a team sport, you know, soccer, where you're going to play three, four games. You might only get one chance, no matter what, you know, whether it's the Olympics or whatever it may be. What is it like to know you're putting in a lot of time for something that may may not last very long yeah it's 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 not something when you're totally invested into something you know when you you finally decide that's what i want to do um 
if you're really focused and that's really a top goal of yours, you don't think about it that way too much. I mean, the way you describe it, I, I can definitely see from the outside. It's like, why put in all that work for, like you said, a 30 second race and you're putting in five to 6,000 yards a day for three months at a time before you get to race your 30 second race. And, and I can understand it from the outside what that looks like. But when you're, when you're that person and that's what you want to achieve, that never, that never crosses your mind. Obviously, when you have disappointments, you think back on all the work you did and you think like, man, that was a lot of work and you know, I didn't get to my goal. But again, if you're, if you're totally invested in, in what you want to achieve, there's nothing that'll stop you. There's nothing that'll deter you to, to achieving your goal. And I think the, the top swimmers are like that. You, know, they, you probably have more disappointments in your swimming career than you do you know, great achievements, but you live for those great achievements. And when they happen, it just makes everything uh, you know, definitely worthwhile. Well, I know I'm on the outside, but a lot of those people who only race once in the Olympics, that'll be 30 or 40 more seconds than I'll ever be racing in the Olympics. And Yeah, and, and at the Olympics, it's even worse because, you know, you've put in, some people have put in eight, 10 years of work, um, you know, to get to that point. And you get to Olympic Games and you could have one bad race and that's it. You don't get a second race. Um, so it really is a lot of work, but... I think um, it takes a special mind to understand the sport and takes a special mind to accept the way, the way it's done and, and kind of like the outcomes. So you're on the team and you know, you guys go through your training camp and you're, you're preparing now you get to Greece. What's the first, what's that experience like when you, you know, you first get off the plane and you're walking around the country and you get to the Olympic village. What was that like for you? Yeah, that's uh, it's it's a special place at Olympic Village. Um, so my first Olympics in Athens, you know, I was 19 years old. Uh, very very unassuming. Um, I, I've seen a little bit about the world, but but not too much. I really didn't know who was who. I know some of the great names in swimming. You know, I know who an Ian Thorpe was. I know who a Michael Phelps was. That type of stuff. But I didn't know who the you know four five six seven eight guy is in the final. You know, the year before at the World Champions. So. Championship. So I really think that helped me in terms of calming my nerves. If I happened to jump in someone's lane that was a third place finish at the World Championships, I had no idea who they were. And so to me, they were just another swimmer. Um, so I think that definitely helps, um, you know, when you don't know a lot of stuff. Um, but the Olympic Village is, is a lot of fun. You walk in there and all of a sudden, you're an unknown to everyone. Just like I don't know who someone else is. They don't know who I am. I could be Olympic champion. They could be Olympic champion. So there's that respect factor from every different sport um, that the person you're walking past has put in a lot of work to be where they are. You know, so um, I remember walking past a few people that um, I knew from TV, from other sports. There was a, there was a runner that I knew from uh, Namibia that I'd watched on TV for many years. And I remember walking past him and we actually got into a conversation. So you get to meet some of your, your heroes, um, you know, from your sport and from other sports that you, you know, you admire. And so it's really a special place where there's that level ground for everyone. Everyone's an Olympian, everyone's special and everyone has worked very hard to get there. Yeah. And that Olympic village you mentioned, I mean, it's, it's everybody from every sport. And I know one team that was probably famous, but didn't really want to show their faces was the uh, USA Olympic basketball team that year after how, how their thing went down. So uh, that's probably at least one team that, that kept themselves pretty well hidden after their performance. Yeah, I don't even think they stay in the village. Um, I don't think the U.S. basketball team is, is someone that stays in the village. I think when you get to that level of, of celebrity status, it's, it's probably 
better they don't. Um, I don't think they'd get much rest from people wanting autographs and, and photographs and that type of stuff. So I know they would make daily, you know, um, they'd come into the village for, for day visits and stuff like that, come for a meal. Uh, but for the most part, I think they just toured and then left and, and went and stayed in the hotel. But I don't blame them for that at all. Yeah, it's like you said, the, the celebrity status is at least uh, across the world, basketball, very well known. Just like I think swimming, I think swimming at least here is become relatively well-known with Michael Phelps exploding. I think you see, I mean, Katie Ledecky, who performed well in, in her Olympic, her first Olympic performances, and uh, Ryan Lochte, who ended up turning into a reality TV star after uh, his time in the pool as well. So definitely starting to become a little more well-known. So for you, you get to the race, um, and let's talk about that gold medal race. Um, yeah, yeah. So it's, um, I was part of a 4 by 100 freestyle relay. Uh, that won a gold medal. We set the world record too. Um, so actually the other three guys on that relay, uh, Roland, Rake, and Linden, they all ended up, uh, we all ended up graduating from University of Arizona. Um, they were all based in the States at the time. Um, so they came across from Arizona uh, to, to the Olympic Village um, to represent South Africa. And I joined them from South Africa. Uh, but yeah, it was I think on paper, uh, going into the going into the event, on paper we had a good team, and I don't know if many people did the math when they added up our best times, um, because on paper we were a good team. You know, we were already a top three team just based off our individual times, but we we went into the into the event really an unknown quantity, um, and again I think that helped us quite a bit. Um, when you're the underdogs, there's not that pressure on you. No one's really talking about you. You're not expected to do much. And so, um, but after the prelims, it all changed. Um, so in the morning, we ended up qualifying first for the final and we just missed the world record in the morning. And all of a sudden you go from underdog to, you know, the top dog. Um, but at the same time, every, you know, South Africa, we, we have a limited number of swimmers there compared to the US and Australia and some other bigger countries who get to really sub in their best swimmers for the night swim. So a lot of those other countries have the luxury of having pretty much eight swimmers that could swim the relay and they swim the, the four slowest in the morning and they'll swim the, the four fastest at night. So you have a fresh team coming into the final, whereas we didn't have that. So the talk, you know, on, you know, on the street was pretty much, oh, so Africa swam their best team in the morning. They won't be able to replicate, duplicate that at night. And America and Australia and everybody else, Russia are going to throw in their 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 stars and you know win the race at night. So I guess I guess that helped a little bit, kind of calm our nerves. That again we weren't the ones getting talked about. Um, but we swam the same race. We swam in the morning. We swam it at night. We swam our fastest swimmer first. We got a lead, and then none of us gave it up. Um, and so it was just a a crazy experience uh, to go into your first race at the Olympics and walk away with a gold medal and, you know, an Olympic and, and world record. So um, just kind of a blur. I know there's a, there's a photo of us at the end of the relay where the three of us are standing on the side of the pool and, you know, our one swimmer is in the water, but the photo is the three of us standing and we're just going crazy. I mean, we're screaming our heads off. We look like we're doing some sort of like, I, I don't know, tribal dance, war dance, or whatever it is. I don't remember any of it. I, I do not remember doing that at all. And, um, but obviously, you know, the, the picture says a thousand words, but just, just the sheer joy and, and shock of winning the relay is something I'll remember forever. Yeah, when you're caught up in the moment, sometimes the, the memory bank decides to reject anything. But like you said, the photo's there, the medal's there for you to remember. And 
Um, you make an interesting point about, um, you know, the different teams, like you said, U.S., Australia, Russia. Uh, with the U.S., they uh, finished bronze, finished third. Um, three of their four swimmers in the final race did not swim in the prelims, as you mentioned. Nate Dusing, Gary Hall Jr., and Gabe Woodward uh, were three of the four in the morning race. And then for the Netherlands, only Mark Veens did not race uh, for them in, in the first heat. So um, you guys really put it together. And uh, so you guys, as you said, you can't really remember, you know, all the celebrating and the cheering going on. But the race is over. Do you remember when the race is over, when you guys officially win? And, and when do you hear that? the world record that you break is, is official. Yeah, just, uh, just amazing. I didn't know we had broken the world record until a couple minutes after when I looked up and I saw the WR next to the time. So that was kind of like the cherry on top, I would say. But um, yeah, just the celebrations. And then, you, you know, you go back and you, you loosen down after your race and you get called for the medals. And I definitely remember the podium being a very special feeling. Um, the way the stadium was set up right above our heads probably a couple feet above is where the, the stadium seating started. And my parents managed to get all the way down to right behind me when we were standing on the podium. And so that was a very special moment uh, for myself and my family to have my mom and dad right there, uh, pretty much standing on the podium with me, if you, if you want to call it that, uh, while the national anthem was sung and uh, just really, really fun. Um, I know we didn't get to bed until at least two or three that morning. Um, after we had, you know, the loose down again, you, we had a drug test, you, you know, you finally get back to the village, you get some food, and then you try to get to sleep. How do you get to sleep after something like that? So definitely the adrenaline was still flowing uh, really late at night, uh, finally got some sleep. And then, yeah, I woke up the next morning and I, I put my medal kind of in a side table we had in the village next to our beds. And I remember waking up in the morning, taking a look around and being like, did that happen last night? And then I pulled open the drawer and there was the medal sitting there. And I was like, yes, that happened. You know, I didn't want it to be one of those dreams you have really good dreams and you wake up and you realize it was a dream, but no, this was reality and uh, just, just a lot of fun and, you know, very blessed to be part of that relay team. Yeah. I understand. You don't, you don't want that to be a dream and no. <laughs> the medal's still real, still felt real in the morning. So that's what yep. matters the most. How much media attention and, and kind of just intention in general, did you get back home with, that win yeah quite a bit quite a bit um you know what one of the things i you know you get told stories about you know celebrations back home and things like that but you're not there for it so you can't really see it but from what i was told um i don't know how they got it but i know my my sister was at home at the time and i know she she got countless phone calls from reporters and news stations and how they got hold of our home number i don't know but she was pretty much answering all the calls and, you know, a lot of publicity that way. Uh, when I eventually got back to South Africa, you know, I visited all the schools that I went to. I had pretty much a, a chock-a-block schedule in terms of, uh, you know, showing up for things and getting invited to functions. And so just, just a lot of fun. And um, I was able, the nice thing was I was able to share that medal with a lot of people that um, had an influence on me growing up. You know, my coaches that were, part of my career, my, my school teachers, you know, headmasters, the boys I went to, to school with, um, you know, all those types of people, I got to share that with them because, you know, they were part of my upbringing. They're part of me getting to that point in my life. So uh, very, you know, obviously thankful to them. So you had one more race to go uh, in 2004, the 200 uh, meter individual medley. Um, how long after 
the relay was that? Was that like the next day, the next couple of days? I think I had about two days before that 200 IM. Um, so yeah, that 200 IM, I definitely remember it. Um, definitely not one of my best races. Um, I was still, honestly, I think my mind was still focused on that gold medal. I couldn't get that race out of my head. Um, I swam a decent time, but you know, I, I, that was just a fun race for me just to get an individual swim at the Olympics. Um, it actually qualified in the 200 freestyle, which I had a way better shot of, you know, making a semifinal and possibly a final. Uh, but I gave up that 200 freestyle um, individually because it was on the same day as the relay. And mm-hmm. so, um, you know, I, I, I figured, we, you know, we had a better shot in the relay. And so I gave everything to that relay instead of something that individual event. So 200 IM was kind of a bonus event for me. It was something I qualified in, but I uh, hadn't taken too seriously in terms of training because I was really focusing on that sprint freestyle event. Now, in the Olympics, when you watch on TV, obviously, it's, it, can, it can be loud, especially in those final races, right? It's, it's for the gold. Fans are excited. When you're in the pool, how much of that can you hear? Can you not hear any of it? Is it just all, all water around you? What is it like? I think you, I don't, you know, you can hear a little bit, but I think you feel it more. Um, as a swimmer, you, you know what the race is shaping up to be. You kind of, when I dove in, I knew I was ahead, obviously. And you kind of feel where people are. You can kind of see out your peripheral and see where they are, if they're catching, if you're getting away. So in terms of the crowd, um, I'm not, at that point, I'm not really focused on them, but you can hear a, a slight little cheer every time you take a breath. Um, but at that point, you're just more feeling the atmosphere than anything else. Well, you got a chance to feel the atmosphere a couple times. And as you said, you got to stand on the podium. And so you go back home, like you said, some, you know, a little bit of a celebrity there going around to the schools and and the media appearances and stuff. But when do you realize, or or at least in in your mind, when do you flip the switch to, okay, it's time to get ready for four years from now? Yeah. So yeah, my journey was uh, not an easy one. That's for sure. I, you know, I started school at the university of Florida right away, actually started during the Olympic games. So the swimming is always the first week of the games. And then the second week, the athletics, the track and field takes over. And so as a swimmer, you're on vacation at that point and you're just kind of watching the different sports and and taking in the city. And, but during that second week, I actually had to fly from Athens to Gainesville. Uh, I had to take two days of, of classes to be eligible. And then I had to fly back to the Olympic games and continue on with that vacation week. So my second week at the Olympics was, was kind of unique. Um, But, you know, I got to hang out with my family. I got to do all that fun stuff. And then I went back to South Africa and spent two weeks as part of the celebration. And then finally got, got to go back to Gainesville um, and and resume classes and start practices. So a bit of a whirlwind, but um, the first two years for me after Olympic Games uh, were not the easiest. Um, I don't think for anyone starting a life in a new country um, is easy. So that took an adjustment uh, for me to get used to the way of the American life and, and American college and the American, uh, you know, swimming. But so the first years were challenging. I had some highlights. Uh, we won an NCAA title in a relay my freshman year. Uh, you know, I had a couple of highlights along the way, but I just wasn't swimming as well as I wanted. Um, I had lost my place on the South African 4x100 freestyle relay team, the one that we won gold with. I had lost my place to somebody else. And so I figured I needed a change. And that's why I transferred to the University of Arizona. And the change was great. I got to be reunited with my, my teammates from the relay. 
Um, and that's really when my, um, my kind of my path towards my second Olympics started. Um, I suddenly realized it was possible. It was possible again. And uh, that belief came back and uh, yeah, I managed to qualify for my second Olympics. So before we jump into the second Olympics, as you mentioned, you go to the university of Florida, the university of Arizona. First, what was the flight from so you fly into Gainesville and you're going to fly back to Greece. What were those two flights like? I mean, were you exhausted? You yeah, just they were, they were long. I don't think my body knew which time zone it was on. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that was, uh, that was a whirlwind. Um, you know, just getting all the way to Athens, not knowing anybody, uh, getting picked up at the airport, dropped off in my dorm and saying, Hey, here's your class schedule. Go find your classroom tomorrow. That was, that was not easy. And if anyone knows the university of Florida campus, it's not a small campus. So, uh, you know, I was walking around trying to find buildings and teachers and, uh, and then, you know, two days later, I'm flying back to Athens. So yeah, just, just kind of a whirlwind, but, uh, you know, definitely something that, uh, helped me grow up very, very quickly. So your first two years in the United States, you're in Florida. What was it like getting adjusted to like the culture in the United States, the life in the United States and just the way things kind of went in terms of swimming at, at the college level in the United States? Yeah, definitely an adjustment. Um, you know, I came from a, a program that really wasn't based around a lot of distance when it comes to training. Um, and the University of Florida at the time was very much focused on swimming a lot, uh, a lot of strength work, a lot of dry land. And so it was, it was a real adjustment for me to get used to that. Um, you go, I went from living at home with, you know, my mom pretty much taking care of meals and all that type of stuff to having to be on your own as a college student, as any college student uh, has to get used to it. So there was that adjustment. Uh, you're living in the dorms, you know, you're, you're subject to roommates being loud and crazy at night while you're trying to sleep and wake up for morning practice. I mean, uh, it sounds like excuses, but that's, that's the reality. When you're not used to something, it takes a while to get used to. And so um, I definitely had some great times there. I, I learned a lot about myself there and, um, yeah, just, um, it, it just wasn't a good fit at the end and I'm glad I made the change and obviously it worked, uh, but very thankful to the university of Florida for, you know, giving me a chance and for me being able to learn from that experience. Did you not have swim roommates or was it just like, were there, was it athlete roommates or was it just some random people. So I was lucky enough to um, be given a single dorm with a shared bathroom. So there were two single rooms with a shared common bathroom in the middle. And so uh, this is a funny story, actually. So in 2004, for the baseball fans, um, it was the division playoff between the Red Sox and the Yankees. And there was a big hatred between the two sets of fans. And there was all these, uh, you know, a lot of history between the two, the two teams uh, with, with the Red Sox finally becoming good again, I guess. And um, I do not support the Red Sox because of that, because my roommate next door was up to all hours of the night screaming his head off about his Red Sox against these Yankees. And I, I swore to myself laying there trying to get to sleep that I would be a Yankee fan the rest of my life and not support the Red Sox because I wanted to sleep. So just kind of a funny story. Um, you know, but you know, that type of stuff, you know, you just got to get used to college life and it's different when, than when you're living at home. And well, luckily for you here in Arizona, uh, Diamondback stands are pretty easy on Yankee fans after the 2001 World Series. So you definitely yeah, uh, exactly. So uh, no, I definitely like my Diamondbacks. <laughs> so 
But, uh, yeah, that's that's insane, especially because in that series, that was a series the Red Sox were down and came all the way back, and a couple of those games went till midnight, 1 a.m. Oh. Yeah, yeah, and it's the bloody Sox series, I believe, and everything, you know. Yeah. So, just, yeah, just one of those things. Who would, who would have ever known that, Yeah, you know, as America's rooting for the Red Sox, uh, a brand-new college student from South Africa would be quickly turning into a Yankees fan in yeah. his dorm room. <laughs> so... Um, so you, you swim the two years there, as you said, you, you lost your spot on, on the team in South Africa and, and feel that a change to Arizona, the University of Arizona down in Tucson is necessary. Um, when do you first think about the University of Arizona today? Do you reach out to them first? What made you kind of think, okay, maybe this is the right school for me? Yeah, so, you know, I had seen, um, obviously, the three other swimmers on my relay team in 2004 were from University of Arizona. So that was always an option for me going into the recruiting process. And it was always, it was a university I never visited. I always wanted to go and visit, but I just never got the chance. And so I really, at that point, wanted to move to a place I was gonna be comfortable immediately. I didn't wanna to go to a brand new place and do the whole thing again where I knew nobody. And I had to basically start over again, like I did at the University of Florida. So I wanted to go to a place where my South African teammates would be. Um, and it also, it made more sense because, you know, I was trying to get back onto the relay. I'd get to train with those guys on a daily basis, learn from them, have them support me. And so it was really the, it was really the only place I was looking at. Um, and I was just fortunate enough that, that Frank Bush, the head coach at the time, uh, you know, he could have looked at me and said, no, he's washed up, he's done. But he, no, he looked at me and he knew I had more left. He knew I was determined and he gave me a chance uh, to join his team and to prove that. I could get back to that level that, you know, I had swum at in 2004. And so he took a chance on me and uh, the rest is history, really. Um, it wasn't all smooth sailing. It's not like I got there and immediately got back to form. There were a few seasons where I was sitting there at the end of the season being uh, disappointed with my results and being like, well, I made this change and nothing's, nothing's become of it. I've actually gotten worse. So it wasn't all smooth sailing, but, you know, I, I stayed determined. I had my teammates supporting me. And, uh, you know, end of 2007 is really when things started to turn around. And, uh, and then in early 2008, I had a great NCAAs, uh, went back to South Africa for the trials, and then all of a sudden qualified for my second Olympics. Yeah, and, and before we get to your second Olympics, um, Tucson, not a, a city a lot of at least native uh, Phoenicians – uh, care about or, or care to visit necessarily, but um, especially me being an Arizona State University grad. Uh, but Tucson, what are some of the things and, and maybe some of the things that people don't know about that city that make it charming, right? I think there's a reason the University of Arizona can get great athletes, whether it be in swimming or, or softball, particularly basketball as well. Why, why is that city and maybe that campus so charming? Um, for me, I guess um, it was a lot like my, my home in South Africa. I came from a small city. Tucson's not small if you add in all the surrounding areas, but there weren't a lot of distractions in Tucson. Um, you know, not like Gainesville was huge either, but, um, you know, just a lot, a lot of distractions. You know, you go to practice, you go to class, you go home, you hang out with your teammates on the weekend, uh, you watch some great basketball, um, you watch some good football, and... Uh, all of a sudden it's time again for the next week. And so I think, I think a lot of swimmers uh, really kind of uh, crave that type of a schedule where 
you're just so focused on your sport that you're not distracted by things going on around you. And um, the only thing that goes on in Tucson, to be very honest, is the University of Arizona sports. And I think that's why the sports are so successful is that there aren't those distractions and sport teams uh, support the other sports teams. You know, we were always supporting softball. We'd always go to volleyball games, obviously the basketball and football, but you know, they came to our swim meets too. As boring as they can be sometimes, they came to our swim meets too. And that, that made a big difference um, because you wanted to swim well and you wanted to represent your sport to the other sports teams at, at the university there. So I think that culture really helps attract recruits because they see that, they realize that they can go there and have the support of the entire athletic department. And I think that's why that school will keep getting great athletes. Yeah, it's uh, very supportive. I think just like OUAZ, I know at the first ever water polo game, there was plenty of OUAZ athletes there. The entire men's volleyball team came out. And uh, But one of the, uh, just looking at the time, at least the, the years that you were at U of A, one of the maybe the largest personality that was at the University of Arizona at that time was Rob Gronkowski. Did you ever get a chance to meet him, hang out with him, spend time with him? What was that like? Yeah, no, I, I got to meet Rob a few times. He, he will definitely not remember me, but um, uh, I got to meet him a few times uh, just around the kale. You know, he'd be walking around um, a couple of the, the swim team parties. He would show up to that and, and be his crazy self. So, uh, yeah, a great guy. Um, yeah, there were, there were so many great athletes around that time. Um, I'm blanking on the, quarter, the, the Eagles quarterback. Um, he won the Nick Super Bowl. Falls. He was, yeah, he was there at the time. He was actually you know, dating one of the swimmers on the swim team at the time. So we got to know him pretty well. Um, you know, just tons of great athletes, again, have gone through that school. And uh, it was a heyday for, you know, University of Arizona swimming at the time. Both our men's and women's team won national titles in 2008. And so, uh, again, a lot of great swimmers at the time went through the school. Yeah, I mean, in that time, like you said, Nick Poles is there, Rob Gronkowski is there. The basketball team's always great. Um, Mike Thomas, who had some stints in the NFL, particularly with the Jacksonville Jaguars, was on a team. Um, so uh, Anton Kaysan as well. So a lot of uh, yeah. a lot of good athletes there, including yours. I mean, for you, a lot of guys, you know, football and basketball and, and all those others, obviously more popular in the United States. But you're walking on campus with a gold medal. Did anybody ever kind of stop you and ask you about that? Did you ever get any inquiries from any of the other sports about it? Yeah, a few, a little bit. Um, so. Yeah, I, I mean, the swimmers know the swimmers. So when, you know, I was told to the team, you know, I had a few people reaching out and welcome me and things like that. Um, I do have an Olympic rings tattoo on my calf. So that would be a talking point. Sometimes someone would notice that and, and ask me what that was for and, you know, get into the story. So little things like that, that are pretty cool. Yeah, definitely. At, at least at that time, the most accomplished uh, student athlete on campus, for sure. So um, but okay, so 2008, you're back at the trials, you end up making it. Two, three years ago, you're thinking, ah, maybe, I'm, maybe I won't ever swim in the Olympics again, but now you're here. What's that feeling like when, when you finally qualify? You went through a lot over the last four years, but you're, you're making a second trip to defend your countries and your team's uh, Olympic record and world record. Yeah, just obviously, you know, if I think about all of my achievements in my career, definitely um, probably the hardest achievement I've, I've gone through mentally. I think physically, the physical is the physical. No matter if you're training uh, with less confidence or training with more confidence, the physical is the physical. It always hurts. But mentally, uh, just going through everything I went through, um, and it was all 
self-imposed. I'm not going to blame anyone for my, my poor swimming my first years after the Olympics. It's all self-imposed in the end. But just going through that mentally um, and coming out on the other side and, and winning that battle just was a great feeling. Um, to put it into perspective, you know, my dad, uh, obviously a huge supporter of my career, just I wouldn't say a hard, hard, hard man. I mean, obviously, you know, he shows affection and things like that. But just, you know, to get a, a well done out of him was, was pretty tough. So when you did get something like that, it was it said a lot. Of, it said a lot to me. Um, I remember he was um, during the trials. He was unfortunately away, um, you know, playing water polo. Actually, he'd be going to this tournament for like 35 years, and it happened to be on the same weekend as trials. And he told me that, "Hey, look, I've got to go to this tournament, but good luck." Um, but I remember getting on the phone with him that night, and um, you know, telling him I'd qualified, and hearing him crying over the phone was was really cool to me and really special. You know, my, like I said, my dad's not one to show a lot of emotion, but when I heard he was crying and choking up on the other side. It kind of just uh, made that, that feeling even more special that he knew I had gone through and he was just so happy for me. So that was a special feeling. Yeah, as you said, your dad and really parents always always know best and always know the most about their children, what they're going through. And I'm sure your dad probably felt that um, it was a real big breakthrough for you to, to get back to the biggest stage in the world, right? I mean, for swimming, it's you know, there are world championships and events like that, but for the ultimate goal is the Olympics and you're back there for the second time. So now you're headed to a, yet another different country. It's China this time. And are the feelings of excitement, nervousness about the same as the first time around? Are you maybe more emotionally and mentally prepared to, to show up at the Olympics? What's that like for you? Yeah, so I, I, you know, I, I definitely feel like swimming four years in college um, because I had my four eligibility years right between the Olympic Games and also going through the Olympic Games experience in 2004. Yeah, definitely prepared me very much for, for knowing what to expect in Beijing. Uh, so going into it, I was a lot more confident. Um, I know I had done the work. Um, you know, I, I, be, I come off a high of, of qualifying uh, kind of unexpectedly, if you want to call it that, a few months before. And so I was really ready to, to, to take on, you know, the, the world's best in Beijing. And um, I was, like I said, I was ready mentally and physically for that. So you guys get to Beijing. And as you said, uh, swimming, you know, swimming happens within the first couple of weeks. And I think this Olympics at least showed how far swimming had advanced, uh, not only in the world, but particularly in the United States over the last four years, as um, your, you and, and your team's Olympic record in that four by 100 freestyle relay is shattered by about five seconds. Um, so that's, that's tough. But I mean, when you got there and, and seeing people practice and being in the heats and stuff, I mean, did you think, oh man, the rest of the world has really caught up over the last four years? Uh, yeah, I think in some regards, yes. Um, I think that you know South Africa had had also progressed with the world. We did swim faster than the time in two thousand and four. Um, I don't know what it was that this time around we weren't able to to be ahead of the game for whatever reason. Whether you know the U.S. and some other countries had produced some some better swimmers along the way. I do know that we were the only team who were exactly the same four swimmers from 2004 to 2008. And so I think that goes to show you how small of a country South Africa is in terms of its swimmers compared to the rest of the world. You know, you've got, you've got the American team, which I'm pretty sure only had one swimmer 
from 2004 stay on that team through 2008 and that being Mr. Phelps and you have Australia and you have all those big countries pretty much turning over a brand new set of you know four swimmers on that relay every four years it's very seldom the same swimmer stays around much longer than a couple of years and so South Africa we all qualified so we all had the right to be there but we were the only same four from the the, the relay four years ago um so you know, I don't know if that's a disadvantage or, or what that is or an advantage of, of knowing each other better. But, um, you know, I'm definitely proud of our performance there. Um, winning Olympic medal is not easy. And we found that out firsthand. You know, you win that in your first race at your first Olympics, and then you're not able to win another one in the next two that you swim. So not an easy thing to do. Um, you've got to have the right situation. You've got to have the right circumstance. You've got to have four guys that are firing all at once, uh, swimming, you know, best times by a long way for that to happen. And so it just didn't happen for us again. Yeah, I'm sure if your future self came and told you in 2004 that you, your exact same team was going to swim pretty much a second faster than you did to break the world record, you'd be dreaming of another gold medal. But as you said, I mean, like you said, you, you swam faster and um, it was an African record in the final for you guys to set um, right. at three minutes, 12 seconds and, and 66 hundredths. But <laughs> everybody else had just kind of figured it out evidently. But so you, you know, you don't win the gold, but you set a new record. It's the same team. Um, what was that feeling like afterwards? I mean, are you guys, you know, like you said, it's hard to win an Olympic gold medal, hard to get to the Olympics to begin with. Are you guys, feeling accomplished, maybe disappointed that you didn't medal like you did the last time around. What, what are those feelings like among yourself and the team? Yeah. So for, for the team, obviously, I think all of us were feeling disappointed that we weren't able to, to at least get on the podium. Um, I think individually, uh, you know, I can't speak for the other guys, but I know individually um, I was really happy with my performance. Um, I went from being the slowest guy in 2004 on that relay uh, split wise to being the fastest guy in 2008. So I had a huge turnaround in my individual performance. And so I know I'd given my all and I know there's those guys had too. And so when you, when you give your all, but you fall short of a, of a goal, there's, there's not much else you can do than just be proud of your performance and just say the other guys were faster on the day. So, um, you know, I, again, I think we were all very proud of our performance and uh, we all had our journey to get there. Um, the guys on my relay team, you know, also had, hardships along the way but you know we got back to that final four years later and uh, I think we did South Africa proud uh, being in that final. Now you're able to race a lot more in this Olympics uh, to another freestyle on top or another uh, relay excuse me on top of that freestyle four by 100 medley um, you get the four by 200 freestyle and then you get two individual races the 200 uh, meter medley individual and then the 200 meter freestyle that you had passed up on in 2004 so you get some more opportunities um don't get to medal unfortunately but what was that like to get back in the pool in competition a little bit more than you did the first time around yeah just uh, obviously a great feeling anytime you get to you know represent your flag at the olympic games the pinnacle of the sport is is a huge uh, honor and so the you know i got to swim a whole bunch more this time um you know being the fastest swimmer in the 4x100 free relay qualified me to swim that medley relay, uh, being the freestyle swimmer there. And then obviously I'd qualified for the 4x2 through that 200 freestyle. And so just, you know, like I said, anytime you get to get up on, on those blocks and race at the Olympic Games, whether it be a, a prelim swim, a semifinal, or final, it's just a, a huge honor representing your country and, and your family. So 
yeah, I got to race a bunch more. That the two hundred freestyle I raced, um, it was a little bit different this time because uh, in Beijing they had the finals in the morning and the prelims at night. So the way it stacked up, I was able to swim that individual two hundred freestyle, go into the prelims of that four by one hundred free relay, and be pretty confident that we'd qualify for the finals. So there was no real quarrels about that this time, and so I got to, you know take a bit of a splash in that 200 freestyle and, and, and get my feet wet and get used to the pool that way. So I took that, um, I took advantage of that. And then really my race, individual race at that Olympic games was going to be the 200 IM. It was the one I had worked the most on uh, the last two years when I got to the university of Arizona and had a lot of success in it. And so that was the one I was really focused on. Um, I fell just short of, uh, you know, qualifying for that final. Um, that was my goal to get into the final and swim individually in the Olympic final. And I think I ended up placing, um, I think 10th overall or something just outside that reserve spot. Um, so, but still just gained a lot of experience uh, from racing that race. Uh, one thing I will say about that 200 IM semifinal, I beat Mr. Phelps to the 50 wall in that 50 fly. So I was, I was beating Phelps for a 50, uh, which was a great feeling. Yeah, there's not a lot of people in the world that can say they beat Michael Phelps uh, in, in a 50. So uh, we might hang that banner up in Faith Arena with uh, uh, for that accomplishment. So um, so you compete at Beijing. Uh, maybe, you know, don't make uh, the finals in any of the individuals. You know, fall a little bit short of the podium in terms of the teams. But overall, again, going to the Olympics is a great accomplishment in itself. So as you mentioned, your first four years after the Olympics – your first Olympic trip, you're going to college, University of Florida, University of Arizona. You've graduated already, you've already used your NCAA eligibility. What were your plans and, and what ended up happening in the next four years between 2008 and 2012? Yeah, so, you know, I finished my eligibility. Um, I hadn't finished school yet, so I had a, a, another year of school. So I, I was doing that while I was training. So basically, at the University of Arizona, they, at the time, they had a luxury of a lot of the better swimmers turning professional after they finished their eligibility and kind of hanging around and uh, training with the team and going off to do the pro meets and everything like that. So I joined that group and I basically just swam for the next four years as a professional, um, you know, still working out on campus and, you know, living just off campus with friends and things like that. And so uh, definitely a different feel. You're, you're still part of the team because you're practicing with the team, but you're not able to partake in dual meets and NCAAs and things like that. Uh, but still a lot of fun. Um, I still felt like I was part of the team, which I think really helped. Um, a lot of, I know a lot of athletes that finish up at a certain you know, D1 school and, and do turn pro, if they hang around the team, there's not a lot of them that do do that. And so they get a bit lonely, but Arizona had an abundance of of professional swimmers hanging around and you know trying to qualify for the next olympics and representing their country and so uh, it was very easy for me to keep swimming like that yeah so um as you mentioned uh, a little bit different but you eventually um make it to the 2012 london games so your third trip but the journey to your second trip was really difficult for you was the journey to the third one as difficult, you know, for Olympic athletes, no matter what the sport, going to the Olympics three times is, is pretty impressive, really good to stay at the top of your game. What was that journey like and, and how did you prepare, you know, trying to qualify for your third Olympic event? Yeah, so it was, it was definitely a little easier. Um, I, I, I only had one year during that, that four years where I really was out of form. In, in 2010, I really didn't have a great year. 
um, as, as a swimmer, but, uh, and I struggled for a bit of form that year, but the other two years, 2009 and 2011, I had fantastic years as, as a professional athlete. Um, funny thing is I had my worst year in 2010, but as a professional athlete, I made the most in prize money during that year, which, which is just crazy. Cause the other two years I swam fantastic and was world ranked and everything, but financially didn't do so well. So it just, Kind of weird how that works out but um the, the journey was a lot easier overall i was a lot more confident i held my form pretty well throughout the whole time um and going into 2012 you obviously have doubts going into trials whether you're going to make it and there's always those negative thoughts that creep in but i think overall i i was expecting myself to make it and uh in the end I, you know i did manage to qualify for that that third olympic games so now you're going back for a third time um what are your thoughts? What are your feelings? You've already been twice. You know, it's almost one of those things where it's like, all right, well, I've been there before. So maybe, I don't know. I feel like if I went to the Olympic games for three consecutive times, I'd still be just excited to show up. It's in a new place of the world every four years, but how are you feeling? What are your thoughts and, and what's it like getting into London? Yeah, just obviously very, very excited. You know, making a third Olympics is, is a, is a great achievement. Um, it's a goal I'd set myself and it was, it was good to, you know, achieve that goal. Um, but going into Olympics, I was pretty confident. We had put in a, a lot of good work. Um, I think overall, it was a great experience being uh, having the Olympics in London. So you get to London, um, get to compete, and so you're heading in to a race that eight years ago, you you and your team broke the world record, the 100 freestyle. Um, a little bit disappointing from a team standpoint, even though you set a, a country or a continent record last uh the last time around but you're back i mean what's what's the mindset for you and your team heading into the race that you once held the world record for and how are you guys preparing to finish better and, and even get on the podium this time around yeah so we were we were very confident we actually felt like we had a great shot of of getting on that podium um in that 2012 4x100 free relay the year before at the world championships in china we had gotten very close to meddling. I think we ended up getting fourth or fifth overall. We had one piece of bad luck happen for us in our race. Our last swimmer in that final actually slipped off the block when he was going in and he lost quite a bit of time. And, but we were right up there. We were third all the way. If he had just you know not had that slip and, and gone his regular time, we probably would have walk, walked away with the medal. So we felt like going into 2012, we were kind of those underdogs again. No one was talking about us. No one realized our swimmer had slipped the year before we were that close to being on the podium. And so we felt like we had a great shot, uh, for whatever reason, it, you know, it just didn't happen again. Again, it's one of those things where on the day it, you know, it happens the one day, the one way, if you swim that exact same relay, the next day, you're going to have a totally different result. So on the day, we just didn't all fire as a team and we just weren't able to get on that podium, even though, you know, we got back into that final. So yeah, you guys uh, finished about two seconds off a, a medal, but finished fifth. Um, so this is your, I mean, eventually becomes your last Olympics, obviously, you've competed since, but when you're done, you end up racing in a, a couple more relays um, on top of that, you know, getting back into the IM, the 200 IM. Um, what is your feeling after the Olympic Games are done? Do, are you thinking this is the end? Or are you getting ready for 2016? How's that going? You know what? I, I still haven't had the feeling where I'm like, okay, that's the end of my swimming career. Like I still haven't had that feeling. And I'm, I'm sitting here at 36 years old, 
way past my prime and I still feel like if I was to give this all up stop coaching and go back to full-time swimming I still have the feeling like I could get back to that level so it's a weird feeling um but definitely at the at the at the 2012 Olympics um obviously you're disappointed not to win a medal but at the same time you know proud that you were able to get there and have fun and have a you know a great experience um, but I just knew I wanted to get back in the water I knew I wanted to get back I wanted to start competing again I wanted to train um, and you know that's what I did so um, I was lucky enough never to have that that feeling like oh I hate this and I'm done and and maybe that's why I'm still in the sport maybe that's why now I've you know turned my focus to the coaching side and, and maybe why I still compete on the master's side uh, because I just love the sport and I just love the the process of getting ready for a big competition um, and going through all the hardships that, that swimming does uh, um, you know make you go through on that journey well as much as we would not want to lose you as a coach uh, if you decided to go back to the Olympics I don't know what we could say or, or what we could offer in order to get you to stay so uh, we we can't compete with the Olympics I'll be honest right now <laughs> in terms of <laughs> yeah <laughs> in terms of the glory and and things of that nature but so 2012 you're done um at least you know competing wise for that time you were you were finished um what do you do after the games are you moving back to the united states are you thinking about coaching moving back to your home country in south africa what what is that process like yeah so i think the goal was always to move back to the to the u.s and, and go back to training uh there's a there's a world circuit that happens every fall called the World Cup Series um, that I was I really enjoy doing. It's you literally race two days in one country, you travel, you race two days again to a different country, you travel, and so there's a series that goes through the Middle East, that goes to Asia. Uh, sometimes they've had it in Australia, they've had a few here in the U.S. and South Africa. So it's pretty much all over the world this circuit of short course swimming events, um, and I really enjoyed doing that. Got to meet a lot of people, got to see a lot of cool countries that way uh, and so I wanted to do that after 2012 and so I ended up you know entering myself and you know being my own travel agent and booking all my travel and things like that and went ahead and, and pretty much started working towards uh, doing that uh, which started like pretty much two months later so you know as you said you're starting to train for those um, now in July of 2014 you become an official US citizen when did you make the decision to start the citizenship process and, and what was that like becoming an official U.S. citizen? Yeah, so I think I, I started the citizenship process in about 2006. Um, I just moved to Tucson um, and I knew that at that point I wanted to stay and, and be part of the society here when I was finished with my student visa. And so I started in 2006, um, I was awarded my green card in 2009 and then you have to wait five years after that to apply for citizenship um, and so in 2014 you can start it a little bit earlier but you can never get given your you can never be naturalized until that five years is up so you can start the process of applying and so uh, you know I was started that process of applying in, in late 2013 and then uh, early 2014 I was told uh, yes you're gonna become an American citizen and then you know in july i was naturalized so um it was always something i wanted to do um i felt like you know in my experience of, of being in college and being in the american society i i really want to become part of this the society and the culture here and i love the culture so it was an easy decision for me um 
it was a harder decision for me to give up competing for South Africa. Um, I didn't have to do that. You know, I could have kept two, two citizenships. I could have become an American citizen, but continue to compete for South Africa if I wanted, but I didn't want to do that. I felt like, I felt like this was my home. I lived here since 2004, it was 10 years later. Um, I didn't see myself moving back to South Africa. I saw myself uh, getting into coaching this side. And um, I was proud to call myself an American, even though I was still a citizen of a different country. And so um, it was an easy decision in the end. Um, I decided to switch uh, my allegiance to competing for the US and uh, I had a great experience doing it. Um, I really am thankful that I did it and um, it all worked out in the end. So like you said, you end up competing for the United States. Um, you make your debut at the 2014 uh, FINA uh, World Short Course Championships. Uh, did you face any heat or any backlash for deciding to no longer compete for South Africa? Yeah, a little bit. Um, not so many words. I never had anyone come to me and, and say any you know, words to me or anything like that or bash me in social media and things like that. But kind of a funny story. Um, my first ever race for the U.S. was at that World Championships. It was the 4 by 100 freestyle relay, um, the one we had won a gold medal in. It was in the prelims. And I was leading off the relay for, for America against South Africa right next to me, um, against the guy that I'd swum with on the relay in 2012. So it was, when I say, you know, I'd be nervous for a few events in my life, um, nothing came close to that. I was literally shaking and sweating, walking up to that block and getting ready to, you know, to go off the block. I swam absolutely horribly. You know, like everything in that race went wrong. Um, I swam a terrible time, but I ended up beating the guy next to me and, and that was my goal. Um, but yeah, I was very, very nervous for that first race because there were just so many emotions going through my head. You know, I'm representing a new country. I've got my old country right there. You know, everyone back home is watching that. You know, everyone that I know is watching that. And so I was just an absolute wreck in that relay. But, um, you know, all the guys on the South African team were, were really good to me. Um, they were all supportive. Uh, they all understood. And so um, I can't say that, you know, there was too much backlash from it. So you end up competing for the United States. And as you said, you wanted to jump into coaching, but... Um, Clearly, you make your, your way up to the valley, right? Tucson, about a two-hour drive south from Phoenix, and I'm really three hours from where UAZ says, if not four. Uh, but when did you end up making your way up to the Phoenix metro area, and, and what did you heard about it before you came up here? Obviously, you'd spent those two years in Tucson, but what were your kind of uh, envisions and, and your thoughts about the Phoenix area, and then what was it like when you finally got up here? So I'll be honest, I was kind of scared of Phoenix being a U of A student. I uh, had always heard these stories about you know, the Sun Devil fans being, being kind of uh, problematic to anyone that went to U of A. And so for the first couple of times, whenever I came up to, to Phoenix, I would not wear any University of Arizona gear just out of fear of, I don't know, getting jumped in the streets or whatever. I, I don't know what I thought would happen, but it's definitely not that way. Um, no, I came up because I, I wanted to continue swimming up here. I decided I needed a change from the, the Tucson scenery and I wanted to experience something new. Um, dating my now wife at the time obviously also helped in that situation. 
Uh, and so I came up to the Phoenix area and, you know, I, I started swimming with a different swim club up here. I eventually moved out to the West Valley and, and was linked up with the YMCA there. Um, and I was training under the previous head coach uh, for that 2016 uh, Olympic trials. And then right after those Olympic trials, it just the head coaching job for the, the YMCA kind of fell into my lap. And so that was kind of the deciding point on me ending my career as a professional swimmer was getting that job and, and going full-time into coaching. So I know we here at OUAZ are glad that you decided to jump full-time into the coaching realm and obviously eventually make your way here. But um, when do you first hear about OUAZ and, you know, obviously living in, in the far West Valley, I'm sure maybe seeing something being built in the surprise area, things of that nature. But when do you first hear about it and, and what are your first thoughts of the school? Yeah, so the first time I ever heard about the school was, um, I actually remember the day I'm sitting in my office. I was the aquatic director at the time at the YMCA. I'm sitting in my office and the pool's closed and this gentleman with silver hair walks past the window on, on the pool deck. He walks past and I kind of look up and I'm like, no one should be on the pool deck. So get out of my office and I, I go see who it is and um, I say, excuse me, sir, can I help you? And it's, it's Kevin Steele walking on pool deck. And uh, he introduces himself and he tells me where he's from. I'd never heard of the school before. And, um, and he's telling me, yeah, I'm just kind of scouting the area, looking for swimming pools. We're gonna start a, a swim team and a water polo team. And we're just looking for a, a good facility to practice at. And that, that was my first introduction, obviously, to Kevin and then also to the school. Uh, he invited me out to campus to come out and check it out. And so I, I took him up on that offer and I met him and he gave me a tour on campus. And I was just amazed that I didn't know anything about the school. And I was just amazed at how, how pretty everything was out. You know, the new football field was built. The adult center wasn't built yet, uh, but he showed me the plans for it. And I was just super excited about the plans for, for the university and the idea that it was a university built around the athletic department and everything about the school just, just completely excited me. So uh, that was my first introduction. And, uh, you know, fast forward two years down the line and, you know, I'm sitting here in the office, uh, you know, now representing the, the university as their head coach. Now, have you talked to him about, uh, since you didn't turn him in for trespassing, that you get uh, first dibs on where you get to, to put the pool, if you know, when it's coming? Yeah, don't worry. I've already been in his ear about that swimming pool um, because we'd obviously love to get a pool on campus at some point. Um, but, yeah, no, I, I definitely need to remind him about that because uh, I don't know how we got on pool day. We're normally good about locking that door, but maybe fates had had us not lock that door that day you know who knows yeah i i mean kevin Steele, a, a great man and he he finds his way one way one way or another I, I, he might be a magician i think cuz he can yeah. he finds his way anywhere that he's he's looking to get to and like you said i mean it it's fate right maybe good thing you didn't lock that door that yeah. he was able to get in there so um, you become the assistant coach, but uh, officially announced on the website earlier this week that you are now the head coach of uh, Swim and Die, both the men's and the women's side. Um, what was it like when you finally got the job offer? Obviously, Austin Raymer no longer um, with with the university, but now you, when was the first sense or when was the first conversation of you taking over and, and becoming the head coach of, of a college program? Yeah, so, you know, Coach Raymer and myself, we worked together. Uh, I was a volunteer at first. Uh, we worked together for pretty much eight months, kind of building that, that swim team, doing the recruiting, 
Uh, you know, I was helping him a little bit on the water polo side, but really, you know, my job as a volunteer was to recruit for the swim team. And so we, we I think we did a great job of, of getting a, a bunch of uh, the swimmers signed and, and excited about joining the school. Um, and then right at the last, you know, beginning of August, uh, Coach Raymond informed me that he was going to be enlisting, um, you know, I, I believe in our Air Force and, and taking off here pretty soon. Obviously, that's an extremely noble cause and um, a great career path he's choosing. So we obviously thank him for his service, you know, even before it started. But um, and then, you know, when Coach Raymond decided that that's what he was going to do, Kevin called me and said, hey, man, here's here's the job if you want it. Uh, you've already recruited. You've built this team. I firmly believe that you can take this team to new heights and, and continue tradition. Um, it's here if you want it. And it was a no-brainer for me. Um, you know, I put a lot of work into recruiting as a volunteer, uh, recruiting through COVID, which is, I would say, pretty challenging. Obviously, there's a lot of people going through a lot of things right now in our country and in the world. So recruiting was not easy, but we managed to recruit a, a decent amount of, of student athletes. And, you know, we started practices this week and um, it's just great to see all that hard work uh, come to fruition. Yeah, I ran into you and your team waiting outside the weight room and getting ready for that season. What is it like to have when you're recruiting or, or even with the kids who are already on campus and already on the team, what is it like to have the facilities, the weight room, the training room, you know, the, the classroom spaces, the offices? What is that like for you, especially at, at a smaller, nationally unknown school? Yeah, it's huge. I mean, the, the facilities we have here is are, are just, I mean, they're fantastic. You've got an amazing weight room there. You've got fantastic energetic coaches that are wanting to make you better. Uh, you've got this amazing football field right here that looks like an oasis in the middle of the desert it's it's so green compared to everything that's around campus that's what I, that's what i think about that's what i describe to the recruits when i when i'm talking about what campus looks like uh you've got you know obviously the dell center is built you've got faith arena and you know it's just the end it's just endless in terms of the buildings that have popped up around this campus um i know that a couple years ago it was a, a vision you were selling to the recruits you know, when you were telling them, hey, we're building this university, this is what it's going to look like. And then they asked what it looks like and you get, you know, a bunch of dirt and that's that's what it looks like right now. But it's going to look like this. Um, obviously, that's hard to sell. But now that we have everything here, everything's being built, it's a very easy sell to the recruits that we have these amazing facilities. Come and join our school. You're going to have uh, the time of your life. So uh, no, we're very lucky to have what we have here. And like I said, very happy to be part of it. And I know we're happy to to have you here and, and looking forward to what's next. And speaking of what's next, uh, obviously this swim program hasn't had an official meet just yet, and, and hopefully that'll be coming sometime between 2020 and 2021. Uh, but for you, this upcoming season, you know whether you compete a lot or maybe only in a handful of meets, whatever that may be, what are you looking for in yourself and your team by the end of the year where you can say, okay, we took a big step in terms of a program. Yeah, no, obviously in the first year of any program, you're gonna have your challenges. And I think as, as a coach of, you know, the head coach of the team, my job this year is to install those customs and traditions for my team. Um, I know when I first took over at the club level, um, that was challenging. You, you inherit a, uh, you know, a squad of swimmers or athletes and they're set in their way of doing certain things and, and doing those things in certain ways. 
And now I'm, I'm inheriting, you know, some athletes that we've recruited. Um, and it's my job this year to install the discipline I want to see them, you know, having each day of practice. I want, to, I want them to be as hungry as I am for success. Um, and that's what my job this year is with this team. It's, it's in, you know, telling them, look, we need to be on time to practice. We need to show up and be ready to practice. You need to be motivated. Uh, you need to take care of your body. Just everything I did as an athlete to be as successful as I was in my sport, I want my swimmers to learn that, and I want them to take that into their swimming. And so success is easy when you have motivated athletes. Right? You can, you can have a, a, a subpar program, um, but if you have motivated athletes, you're going to have success because motivating those athletes is, is, half, the, is half the battle. Um, when you have unmotivated athletes, it's tough to get them to learn anything. So my job this year is to install that discipline, show them that hard work can be fun, um, and work together as a team to achieving something great. Well, I know if having a, an Olympic gold medalist coach and, and somebody who's had to fight their way to three different Olympic games isn't enough motivation, then you know I, I couldn't I wouldn't be able to find the best motivator, <laughs> a better motivator than that. I can tell you that. So, Darian, thank you so much again for awesome. Thank you. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's been a it's been a you know a great path. But like I said, I I just want my swimmers to be proud of the work they put in and and be proud of the result that they get from all that hard work. Well, I know we're looking forward to the upcoming swim season. Is there any final thoughts or any final words you want to leave with the OUAZ community, whether it be with your team, different athletes, the fans, whatever it may be? Yeah, just uh, just thank you to everyone. Thank you to the athletic department, to everyone that has welcomed me to this position. Um, you know, it's it's something I'm very proud of. Um, I've always wanted to be a head, head coach of a uh, collegiate program, and um, you know, I'm very excited for where this program can go. Um, the nice thing is, you know, it's it's a program that we really get to build from the ground up and make that that foundation extremely strong. And I know through the the OUAZ, you know, athletic department and the student base, I know we're going to have the support to do that. So just thank you, everyone, for welcoming me, and uh, obviously thank you to Kevin Steele for believing in me. And uh, I look forward to many years of success in this position. Yeah, I, I know we're looking forward to it, that success uh, coming up as well. So, Darian, thanks once again, and uh, hopefully we're talking soon. Awesome. Thank you, Seth.